That's classified. It's what? It's classified. It had been deemed classified. And B, that footage is highly classified. Classified. It's classified. You can't tell anybody, but... People need to know. Welcome to CIO Classified, where you'll find candid conversations with the world's leading CIOs. In each episode, we have two different CIOs discuss a single topic. This week, we were joined by Sasha Siddhartha and Nick Rockwell. Sasha is the co-founder and CTO of Thrive Market, a subscription service that makes the world's highest quality natural and organic products available for every American family. He's also a technology superstar who cut his teeth as a developer at Microsoft, working his way up to senior development lead, and he's a multi-time founder. Nick is a senior vice president of engineering and infrastructure at Fastly, which helps the world's most popular digital businesses keep pace with their customers' expectations by delivering fast, secure, and scalable online experiences through their Edge Cloud platform. Nick is one of the top media technologists in the world. He previously served as CTO of the New York Times, Condé Nast, and MTV Networks, among others. In this episode, Sasha and Nick discuss how you can achieve any goal for your technology organization. They lay out how they pick the right goals to go after and how they line up the right teams and tactics to achieve them. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from today's sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Box, Okta, Slack, and Zoom. Modern employees demand the best tools at work. If your company wants to embrace the modern work environment, you need best-of-breed tools like Box, Okta, Slack, and Zoom. This episode of CIO Classified is brought to you by Box. With collaborations so widespread, securing your critical files and managing risk across your people, devices, and apps is now an urgent issue. That's where we come in. Box. Simplify how you work. Secure collaboration with anyone, anywhere, on any device. Learn more at box.com slash work unleashed. And now here's your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to CIO Classified. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by my amazing co-host, Cassidy. How are you? I am great. Trying to stay warm. How about you? <laughs> Indeed. Me too. Um, and we have two amazing guests today. Really excited. First, Sasha, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Ian. And thanks for joining. And Nick, how are you? Also doing well and also trying to stay warm in snowy Brooklyn. <laughs> well, fortunately, uh, fortunately, you know, there's sun on the horizon, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future for all of us. And most importantly, sun in our technology and in our hearts um, here, <laughs> here today at CIO Classified. So let's get into it. First, uh, Sasha, can you share a little bit about your role at Thrive? Sure. Just to provide an introduction. Thrive Market's a membership-based online grocery store. Our mission is to make healthy living easy and affordable by offering our members the highest quality selection of natural, organic, and sustainable products. So think of us as kind of Costco meets Whole Foods online. You know, my role within Thrive is, is really connecting, connecting the dots between business strategy and technology strategy in, in both directions. So empowering the business through technical solutions and then also thinking about how to innovate on the the digital consumer experience to, to help drive the business forward. And that you know, it boils down into two major tranches of work. You know, probably 80% of my time is focused on consumer-facing tasks, so improving our member experience, driving business growth, iterating on the shopping journey our customers go through. The other 20% is probably 
business facing, employee facing, you know, what is the experience for, for people who work at Thrive Market? How do we leverage tech to improve our operational efficiency, our compliance footprint, our security posture, and, and so on? One of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show, Sasha, other than the fact that we've chatted before and you you got me to be a Thrive Market member, so I, I have all the healthy snacks um, waiting for me after this episode, was because I'm so fascinated by your your 80-20 split there. It's like your quote-unquote traditional IT is only 20% of your role and the rest of it is, is business-focused. And I just, I wonder if that's going to be uh, a new normal going forward and something we can we can get into a little bit later in the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where technology has come a long way to the point where there's so much available off the shelf today, and a lot of the a lot of the common problems that businesses are faced with are are solved in a way that would require just tremendous internal effort, you know, five, ten, twenty years ago. So uh, definitely, when we think about our kind of core competencies and where we invest technology resources, it's on the you know it's on the innovation side. That's where we really need to build versus. You know, be able to leverage best of breed solutions that you know other great providers. So, you know, Fast is an example, right? So, you know, CDNs have come a long way, and it's it's not something where you know any company in their right mind is building this from scratch right now. So, the ability to leverage folks like that uh, has made my job a lot easier when it comes to getting the right tools in place to drive drive the internals of the business. A great segue to Nick. Tell us a little bit about your role at Fastly. Uh, sure, happy to. So, Fastly is an edge cloud. And I was a customer two times before I joined Fastly, so had a you know a long history of being on the other side of the table with the company. And what an edge cloud means these days is we serve all kinds of customers, helping them in general to be scalable, reliable, and secure by securing, accelerating, and generally enabling their digital pro- uh, properties. I run engineering and infrastructure, which we do both of those things in, at very large scale. So we we build a lot. We build a lot of network. We have um, you know nodes and computers running all over the, the globe and, and interconnect connecting them. And we also write an awful lot of software to make it all work optimally. So I, I run those teams and you know deliver our core product. And today, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is this idea of you know building digital experiences, building at scale and building digital experiences at scale while you're doing it fast. And, and who better than you two who are at the cutting edge of this? So I guess to start with the high level, how should CIOs and CTOs think about building digital experiences and what should those engineering teams look like, Sasha? There's no one answer to this. There's, there's so many facets to, to the process of building building a great digital experience. I'll, I'll try and hit on a few things that always are top of mind for us at Thrive. The first one is you've got to be customer-centric today, particularly in a, in a direct-to-consumer business. You have to listen to what your customers want. You have to observe the patterns with which they use your product. And you've got to be continuously looking for ways to make that experience better. The key path to successful business growth today is really through toward through creating these better consumer experiences. And at the same time, the, the delicate balance that a, you know, someone in the you know, head of technology, head of product seat needs to, to manage is you can't expect your consumers to give you the solutions. You know, they can probably express their problems, their frustrations. You can, you can see it in the data, both qualitative and quantitative. But ultimately, the, the job is ours to innovate and find the, find the best path forward. So you know, we can't. We can't take consumer feedback in a kind of naive way and implement it. We have to look for, you know, what is that intersection of customer value and business value that is that's kind of hidden in the hidden in the noise. 
So we can create these non-zero-sum experiences where we can drive the consumer experience forward in a manner that also supports the growth of the business. So that's one aspect, which is the really, really being plugged into what the consumers are doing on the platform. The second one that I think is pretty relevant these days is making smart decisions on, on buy versus build. You know, ultimately, businesses and technology stacks are, are inherently complex. You know, hopefully, you can kind of build them from, from relatively simple building blocks and really identify uh, to a really point what your core competencies are, where you need to invest your technology resources and where you can leverage on the flip side, best of breed solutions that have already been kind of vetted in the in the market. So, you know, as as technologies advance, there are more and more commodified products that are available to solve common problems that most businesses are faced with. You know, part of what's required is the right level of restraint to not want to go in there and kind of own every part of the solution yourself to be able to you know creatively outsource to you know to external technology vendors and really focus your internal team's resources on things which only you can do and which you feel are, are truly defensible. And that, that holds true on the technology side. I think it also holds true when it comes to customer experience, you know, particularly in e-commerce and retail. The sort of the adage is the consumer is spending 99% of their time shopping on somebody else's website. So the established patterns in terms of how, how consumers interact with these, these digital platforms are, are pretty set. And you're taking a significant risk in, in deviating from those. So any area where you create a customer experience that is that are unique or differentiated or unfamiliar, um, you know, you'd better be sure the way you're delivering is, is 10 times better than, than the next thing out there. So those are sort of my founding principles. In terms of the team structures, um, again, this, this varies quite a bit from org to org. Thrive, we believe pretty strongly in having, you know, small, technically diverse teams. So, you know, we do, you know, we have cross-functional squads sort of similar to what, you know, Spotify pioneered a few years ago where, you know, we have representatives from, you know, web engineering, mobile engineering, platform, analytics, data science, all functions are represented in a, in a small group that is dedicated and tasked with solving a particular customer problem. And that allows us to scale out our efforts horizontally, you know, work on different parts of the consumer experience in parallel, and ideally, you know, leverage, um, leverage the power of a small team where you have less overhead and better communication to be able to achieve a particular goal as efficiently as possible. I feel like that modular way of building sites and products is definitely the future, both in those kind of cross-functional teams where you can kind of modularly say, okay, we're focusing on account management, we're focusing on the homepage, we're focusing on this and that. But then also, like you said, that build versus buy, being able to choose like, oh, you know what, we're not going to build our own authentication, we're going to use this service for it. You know what, we're not going to handle this element of security, we're going to use this service for it. I feel like that's huge. And and Nick, I'm sure you're seeing that even more and more at Fastly as people use your service to take care of some of that for them so they don't have to build it themselves. I'm very grateful in the role I'm in now to have had the experience of being a customer, being on the other side and building digital experiences for the New York Times and Condé Nast and others because it's hard. Like building a, the world moves very quickly and everybody's moving fast and, and staying competitive and building a great digital experience is, is really difficult. Software is hard in general. So my one of my rules is always kind of the less you do, the better. And the more focus you can generate, the better. So you can really put your effort into the things that really differentiate you, make you stand out and that your business really hangs on. So as much as, as, as you can stand on the shoulders of as many giants as you can find, you know, in terms of integrating good software, making good infrastructure decisions, partnering well, it's really, really important. 
because everyone else is and they're focused on the thing that makes them special and you need to be too. So I agree that's really important. Not to agree too much with everything Sasha said, but I actually, unfortunately, really want to stress too um, the importance of cross-functional teams. And and I was thinking, you know, as he was talking, that you know, it's never it's never an engineering team that that ships value. It's always a cross-functional team, and you just can't separate the business problems from the technical problems the experience problems from the business problems from the technical problems like they all are completely intertwined and and you can only do the best work when you have that cross-functional team with a clear set of goals um, that everybody is aligned on working together and everybody brings the thing they do and they bring a little bit more than that they bring a little bit of their perspective on the whole problem too so i honestly think that that is the key to effective modern product development and I try to um, advocate for that and craft that and push that everywhere, everywhere that I go. Yeah, you know, you you touched on something that I think is so important is is the cross functional teams. But to dive into that, like, what's the how? Like, how do you do that effectively? Because I think that that's something that, you know, especially if you're in, you know, a, a more you know legacy or, or old school IT organization who wants to do more innovation, who wants to do some of the things that you're talking about, they don't necessarily have the roadmap to, to be able to figure out how to do that. I think you have to. And, and I think you've got to solve your organization first. And, and this also is like a principle that I, I try to take everywhere I, I go. Because if you, you know, if you have these functional silos, whether they're within technology, so I, you know, I have a software team and then I have an infrastructure team and they only talk when something's crossing over that boundary or whether they're, you know, between functions in general, between product design, you know, a marketing team, let's say, and, and engineering, it's just, it's just not going to work. It's going to kill you. The best result you're going to get is you might do good work, but you're going to do it slowly. And coming back to the focus on like within the technology world, we just can't, you just can't innovate at the pace that we need to, if you haven't gotten the DevOps, revolution behind you this DevSecOps revolution behind you everything's got to be integrated and everybody you have to approach every problem i say this somewhat carefully but like the way that we have that you approach problems in software which is you know that you're committed to continuous improvement and continuous iteration and that everything's connected and you can't be working on one part of the problem in isolation from the other parts so you really need all those things. And I would say if you find yourself in an organization that hasn't you know, turned that corner yet, start there. Like start there with, with getting a modern, like cross-functional organization in place, break those barriers down, get the basics of managing your infrastructure as code, your security as code in place. It's really hard work, but you just can't, you're just not going to get where you want to go unless you can deal with that. So if it's not done, like roll up your sleeves and get it done. So to piggyback on what Nick was mentioning there, you know, couldn't agree more. Uh, I mean, one thing I'll say is I don't think that the traditional organizational structure is mutually incompatible with being able to achieve this. I think where where those functional silos develop is less in the less in the reporting structure and more in having you know mutually incompatible goals. Where you know if your product team and your engineering team and your infrastructure team and your marketing team and your you know operations team all have different different points of view, different metrics, different OKRs. That's where that's where you really start to see friction in the seams. 
So what's what's worked for us really well, and again, this is this is constantly evolving, is you know, we still have those traditional organizational structures that are necessary for consistency across function, mentorship, growth within within a role. But we're increasingly matrixed around company-wide goals or you know, at least technology team-wide goals that are that are shared by by contributors from all functions. So and that is a it's sort of easier said than done. It puts a, a significant onus on on us as leaders to provide you know, great context to, to every single person across all functions on on why these goals are important, how their work ties to the um, to the sort of long term long term strategy of the business, and so on. And it also creates a, a force a forcing function to I think to next point to, to take a minimalist approach and and really focus and ruthlessly prioritize because these cross functional teams tend to work well when the goals are. You know, relatively, uh, relatively static, and there, there's a, a manageable number of them, and they don't keep changing. And you can dedicate resources around around each of those. That's where, that's where that group that spans different functions can really find a find a groove working together and have a, you know, pretty consistent consistent north star. You know, when we when we think of the technology, also couldn't agree more that the role of role of DevOps and you know generally infrastructure and process automation to support a a larger and larger engineering org being able to operate autonomously without that bottleneck during the, the deployment process or the QA process or anything else. That's that's absolutely critical. I do think you know you can you can kind of get away without it, but you'll be, you know, to the next point, you'll be hamstrung in terms of the long-term pace at which you can iterate. But I really do think that that shared context and the shared goal setting, and that to me feels like the foundation. Like if you're able to get that right, you've got the platform on which you can you can you can build all the rest of this, and without it, it's it's really tough. And uh, and I don't know that that even a a pure technology solution can get around that. Yeah, Sasha and I might disagree on something at some point, <laughs> but I do just have to pile on there for a second and say, in in a cross functional organization, like it, things can get complicated, but the goals are the the like armature or the framework that hold everything together. Like in in a legacy org, a lot of times goals can kind of feel like an afterthought like we kind of know what we're doing but we'll go through this goal setting process and write it all down in a in a modern organization the goals are the first thought like the first thing and then you actually organize around them so i I would agree it's completely foundational to get good goals and good goal setting process right with all of these different teams because there's people from across the organ and it's it's a very horizontal slice Everybody kind of speaks a different language because they have their different specialties and everything. Would you say that goals are kind of the North Star that get them communicating well? Or do you have to step in and, and be a leader and do a little bit more to make sure that they're all on the same page and, and working towards the same thing while also smoothly communicating with each other? I think um, there's always more communicating to be done. But absolutely, like goals, in addition to being a great like orientation point for the work, and to being a great way to evaluate whether you're making progress, they're also just a great communication tool. And I always tell everyone, if you want to know what's happening in the organization, like look at everybody's OKRs. That'll tell you what people are actually working on, you know, better than even if you know than you ask them and they tell you something that you might want to hear. You'll really know. So they're a great communication tool. They are a lingua franca across the different functions. And also when you you know when you make people work together as a team, they're going to find ways to bridge those gaps. They're going to find many ways to communicate and they'll start to learn a lot more about the other, you know, what other teams do, the other parts of the, of the total, the whole problem, um, which is going to make everyone smarter too. So when people get a taste of it, they really like it. 
because they start to understand the whole context so much better. And what what's an example? Could you give an example uh, or could you both give an example of like what an OKR for something like that would be and how people would, would nest underneath that? Sure. So, I mean, we can, we can take the simplest case of, of member growth. So let's say, you know, our objective is we want to, we want, we want to have X, X million members on the platform by, by Y date. And then the KRs could be, you know, our, our onsite conversion rate needs to go from, from A to B or improve by 10%. And you can, you can basically build a team that's going to start thinking through how to solve for that, that KR as a, as a proof point to achieve the, you know, the, the, the loftier objective, you know, the role of the KRs obviously is to, is to create sort of, it's almost kind of a checklist that says like, if we, if we achieve these, these key results, the objective will, will emerge as a consequence. At least that's, that's how we think about it. And those are, to the next point, it's, it's a fairly simple goal. It should be something that, you know, regardless of function, you know, any, any employee in the organization should be able to understand and get behind. And, you know, obviously under the hood, everyone's going to be thinking about that in a, in a slightly different way, depending on what their function or specialization or you know, their, their individual role and how they contribute towards that goal um, actually manifests in their day-to-day. Yeah, it's a super straightforward, almost like classic example that I can give from my time at the New York Times was just funnel conversion through the purchase process. Once someone's clicked on a subscribe button, you know, how many people come out the other end? And that, that was a team that we that we had and and that you know that was their broader goal context. And then they would set specific OKRs, you know, such as improved performance of you know step two by you know, three tenths of a second or something like this. And that would be their goal for the quarter, work on a whole bunch of things, make that happen. Um, that, you know, that yield bear conversion. So that's um, like a classic example. At Fastly, a good example might be that we just introduced a new CPU into the fleet and we're working on a series of optimizations to squeeze more performance out of, the, out of them. And for example, we had a team that was working on increasing the number of like requests per second that Computed Edge, our new compute platform, could handle on these CPUs and you know driving it up bit by bit. And uh, that's um, so that's another like clear metric that drives a clear result that orients that team. And Nick brought up a really interesting point on this, which which might be worth digging into. Is you often have these company level OKRs that are you know pretty expansive and often you know often don't feel like they're immediately actionable. So you know something something that's very effective as the organization starts to grow and get more complicated is to just again figure out how you can ladder you know an individual team or an individual's okrs to to the organizations and and again that's where like that's where the pre-work on the on the leadership side comes in is how do you how do you structure your teams how do you set up those goals in a way that make them feel really actionable for you know every single individual contributor in the org but at the same time have some confidence that the individual teams, or at least some of the individual teams, are able to hit their metrics. All that stuff ladders up to to the greater outcome. Yeah, la- laddering is the dark art of goal setting, <laughs> and you know, I, and I think one of the tasks of leadership is to introduce like just the right amount of of leeway in in that ladder. Um, if you're super super literal about it, you can find it. It can be very constraining, and you can find yourself locked in sort of unproductive discussions, but like carefully like introducing leeway and and actually it ends up being essentially storytelling to say okay there's a bit of a gap between how this goal ladders to that goal but i'm going to tell you how like i'm going to tell you a story and that's going to explain to you how they're connected why it matters 
So I think, you know, leadership storytelling can can fill in the gaps in, in the ladder that actually help you build a better ladder. What about internal technology type goals, the more traditional IT goals? Like, are you are you seeing is either IT um, in, in previous companies or, or, if, or if part of it rolls up to you, are you seeing OKRs around employee experience or employee performance as it relates to that and something that is kind of done the same way? Like, I, I don't think you'd cross-functionally throw like a product person, you know, uh, in a cross-functional team to figure out employee experience but maybe i don't know maybe you do or maybe you need to i think we do to a to a to a lesser degree i mean i think and i think that's not not because we shouldn't be doing it but i think you know like to your to your point like it may it's traditionally not thought of an area where you have as many internal goals but we, we look a lot of a lot of metrics um and a lot of goals that are that are more internally facing so you know we have for case in point we have you know, a number of facilities at Thrive Market. We've got our, our corporate HQ. We've got multiple call centers, multiple fulfillment centers. So we're looking at, you know, the simplest things like, you know, network application uptime in, in all of these, right? Because, you know, it's not just whether our website and our mobile apps are functional that impacts our business, but, you know, if, if technology goes down in one of our fulfillment centers, orders are not going out the door. So, and obviously there's a very clear downstream impact there to the experience of the employees who are, who are using that technology. So we we definitely monitor all that. You know, another interesting use cases we, you know, we leverage quite a bit of automation in our in our customer service use cases. So, you know, we have we have chatbots and self service tools and other other tech that we brought to bear to help help our consumers you know get answers to their most common questions. That also affects the experience of employees who are working in our in our contact centers because the better job we do at empowering self service and allowing customers to you know, frankly, deflect contacts that don't need to go to a human human agent, the better the experience that human agent has because they're not they're not working on sort of the rote repetitive work that really focuses on the higher order tasks and the ability to to service more more complex scenarios. So, you know, one of the one of the KPIs that our, our member services team is looking at is what's our, you know, what's our deflection rate. And that's a it's a little bit of a it's a half of a consumer facing metric, but also an employee facing metric. Um, but there, there are definitely a lot of those out there. I think there's definitely areas like employee onboarding, employee productivity, where we're probably, you know, less rigorous and, and sort of numbers driven in terms of our in terms of our approach. The assessments there are, are heavily qualitative and just kind of gathering feedback on, you know, how are how are folks doing? What are the what are the impediments they're running into? A lot of those have technology solutions, but I think at our stage we're probably we're probably a little less little less mature and a little less rigorous in terms of you know, tracking those as hard or hardened goals the way we would parts of the consumer experience. I think, um, you know, what Sasha says, it's it's just right. It's natural that in your IT organization, you're going to be not as far down this path. But I really think all the principles apply, like they fully apply. And, you know, I was responsible for the for IT and internal applications at the times. And that's an interesting distinction, too. I mean, Sasha was talking about call center and, and like, that's an internal app, but it's really part of the product experience. It can't be separated from it. So at the at the times, we were starting to to use product managers for internal IT apps, and the and the cross functional collaboration is is just it's a different set of people. We did an interesting project to build our investor site and our our public corporate site out, and that we ran it just the same way. But like the corporate communications people were part of that team. 
Um, in other contexts, we partner with HR, you know, with the HR team around business processes. But you see all the same dynamics. And and I would say, you know, with respect to our internal tools, um, internal tools that the newsroom used or that our customer service people used at the times are were just as performance and quality sensitive and need to be just as reliable as our as our customer products. And so we actually, you know, we used Fastly on our customer products, but also on our internal tools and imprinting our internal APIs um, that our own people use, so that so that you know that their experience was fast and reliable, and they could be efficient in their work. So I think the principles fully apply, and we're just not as far down that road yet. Nick, a lot of our listeners have heard of edge or edge computing, but don't fully know what it is. Um, and what part specifically is Fastly working on? Would you mind going through some of that? Oh, sure. Not, not at all. I'd be happy to. So for us, you know, the way that we define the edge is as close as you can get to your user. And, you know, where the more that you can do, whether it's computation or, you know, applying security or you know, serving content like a, in the traditional CDN system, the more that you can do as close as possible to the ultimate consumer, um, the fa- the better, the faster it's going to be and the better the experience is going to be. And I would say just to qualify that a little more, it's not always the end user. It, it might be some, you know, a partner who's interacting with you through an API. It might actually be a, a partner's API that you're consuming. Um, but the closer that you can bring every Every operation that needs to happen, then you, you just you win a lot of free time in round trips on the network. And the other thing is that because we have to, everything we do at the edge, we absolutely have a laser focus on performance. So for um, the, the two big things we're working on right now are security at the edge and compute at the edge. So with security, we're creating you know, a full-featured web security suite that runs at the edge. And that thing has to perform as if it's not there. Like that's the only way that it, it can work across our network. So, you know, we are pretty confident that it's going to perform far better than, you know, than any, any of our competitors doing something similar. With compute as well, we've built our compute platform from the ground up to be like orders of magnitude more performant than other, like say serverless compute platforms. So you're going to gain not only the time that you'd spend on a bunch of network round trips, you're also going to take advantage of this fact that like the we have this absolutely necessary, relentless focus and discipline around performance because we have to. So, so that's what the the value of the edge is. It's like get everything. It's like a classic rule of computer science: like get everything as close to the ultimate consumer as you can. Do as much of the computation, as much of the store the data as close to the the endpoint as you can. And we're just trying to expand the suite of things that people can do on the edge. So you can push more of your compute, more of your page assembly for your website, more of your security, you know, both in every aspect, enforcement, detection, learning, everything out to the edge and make it as fast as possible. So how can this edge impact the future of retail then? I guess this is a question for both of you. I think he, he hit on a lot of things that are pretty exciting, right? So so speed is number one. So the adage in e-commerce is, you know, every second of load time costs you 7% of conversion and, and so on. So the faster and more responsive the experiences you can build, the better you are, the better the customer experience, the better, the better the business growth. And this is particularly true today, where I'd say consumers are adopting, you know, mobile as a as their platform of choice 
arguably at a faster pace than the than the network bandwidth is expanding. So it is it is incumbent on technology providers and retailers to be able to speed up experiences at a at an accelerated rate. And the edge offers just a tremendous head sort of head start there, where you know you don't have to round trip across the entire country to you know render a product image or um, or something fairly simple like that. Now, where it starts to get really interesting, particularly for a business like ours, is when you start to move move the compute to the edge. You know, we're heavily focused on personalization. So every every consumer who hits the Thrive Market website or mobile apps is getting a totally unique experience in terms of the products they're recommended. Almost all our data is dynamic. And that, that creates some real challenges in terms of being able to use a, you know, a conventional content delivery network that historically has been focused only on rendering static assets of the edge to consumers. So you know, once you get to the point that you can do dynamic calculations in real time, you know, do things like to next point security, you can really have an experience that's a lot more decentralized. And the benefits there are speed, but also also fault tolerance, right? So I think uh, I think as most of us know, like, you know, with the with the recent storm, you know, there's been there's been some retailers whose local experiences, even in areas where the weather was totally good, was impacted because a lot of their centralized processing was was snowed under, no pun intended. Being able to to decentralize also gets you to the point where you're much less impacted by kind of one black swan event that occurs in your in your network. So those are a couple of really sort of powerful advantages long term. And in retail, I think this is really going to start to to pay dividends as we get more true omni-channel experiences where you know more and more retailers are going to be leveraging the power of technology to change the experience that you have when you're in a physical store. And the ability to do that based on a, a localized edge-driven solution versus a, a kind of traditional center centralized server model is is pretty powerful. You know, all else aside in the grocery space, like you walk into the average grocery store, you're gonna lose you're gonna lose internet connection. So you know, being able to have a a local network that has a lot of the same capabilities that one, one would associate with a you know a traditional online service, the potential experiences start to get pretty powerful there. Yeah, I mean, I, I love retail because retail totally gets it. it like retail is, ha, has always been and remains like extremely performance focused, and I think retail is just ahead of of the rest of the web, where people still maybe think they can make trade offs around performance or you know quality of experience. Let's really say performance, reliability, availability, security, and actually in the future they can't. Nobody can. Retail gets that today, so we love to work with our our retail customers, and it's just very very easy to draw that line from improvement in the experience against across any of those axes and you know and better business results so that we love that clarity it's really really nice and security in particular we love the story there and and it's just so powerful we're so excited about it because we we look at every request if you're going through fastly we're seeing every single request that's going to your site and we have an opportunity to stop it at the furthest point away from the systems and data and things that you care about. And security is also so important in retail. We've seen this again and again, where a lapse has like long, cast a long shadow, has like long lasting consequences, you know, through a breach or, or you know, some other issue. And to be able to put that perimeter out really, really far from your origin, from where your data is, see every request and block the, the nasty ones again, like all the way out at the edge is, is really, really powerful. So we're excited about that. Retail, uh, you know, an obvious 
point for both of you since since think you have a lot of customers in retail and and uh, obviously Sasha, you're in kind of the the cutting edge of of what the future of retail looks like. But you know we've been talking about you know speed a bunch. I love that uh, the one second is is seven percent. Uh, Sasha, that's a great that's a great little little tidbit here. But as it relates to speed for other industries, for the beyond uh, of just retail, for the folks that are a little bit more laggard, what would be like one lesson or piece of advice that you would have for teams to be able to work? faster. I know, you know, Sasha, you've dealt with unprecedented scale this year with, um, you know, being in, in online um, marketplace. Uh, I know like the Faison family uh, upped our Thrive uh, orders this year during uh, during pandemic. I'm sure many, many people did, you know, trying to eat a little more more healthy snacks for sure. But there were people who who over the past year had no ability to deal with their speed problems uh, amongst everything. Uh, and then there were the people who were kind of like set up for that. And so I'm just curious, like, what does speed look like going forward? Because it, it just seems like, you know, it's, it's just more and more the name of the game for everybody. Yeah, I, mean, I, I had a few areas there. So, you know, in terms of in terms of scale and speed, one of the one of the things that made my job relatively easy at, at Thrive during the past year is that the the digital part of most experiences is the, you know, all else aside, the easiest part to scale and the easiest part to to drive velocity on. You know, we're a we're a physical goods business. We have a, you know, enormously complicated supply chain that we have, you know, really talented team that managers. But you know, there were there were definitely there were definitely some almost insurmountable bottlenecks in the short term that 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 group had to had to overcome um, to be able to change course and uh, and deal with uh, the accelerated demand. So. You know, our role on the tech front during that process was really, you know, really to support them and you know, rapidly iterate on the tools necessary to help kind of course correct the consumer experience during a period of of unprecedented demand. Um, you know, that that said, the the other areas that we're really focused on from the tech side on, on speed is, you know, we, we've always had our development process pretty dialed in, but we were fortunate enough to. You know, really spent a lot of time thinking about business productivity and communication for a geographically distributed team well in advance of having to, you know, having to kind of deal with deal with stay at home and, and everything that went on last year. So, you know, having been having been able to kind of see around that corner a little bit as to how we wanted to see our organization expand allowed us to put the tools and tech in place and get the organization, you know, ramped up in a more in a more distributed, more efficient way of, of operating, you know, well in advance of when it was needed. So, you know, it's a little bit fortuitous. It was also kind of well aligned with our, our natural direction. And I think the, you know, the last piece is, you know, sound like a bit of a broken record, but it really came back to the, the organizational alignment and the goal setting. Um, you know, there was probably no period during our history where we saw greater alignment, more national collaboration and, you know, just, um, the ownership mentality that we've always hired people for, you know, coming into the forefront than than over the past year, which made our jobs as leaders relatively easy, right? When the when teams and individuals are able to self organize and solve a lot of these problems on their own, like that's when you get organizational scale and velocity. Is you know you, you kind of eliminate those centralized bottlenecks that are that are necessary to drive change in a traditional org and in a modern organization. Everyone just pushes forward, and as long as they're they're lined up in more or less the right direction, you know, good things happen. Good things happen. Good things happen at a at a pace that no one would have imagined. 
So a little bit of a vague answer there, but, uh, but those have sort of been some of the keys to, to uh, you know, our, our success and growth that we've seen over the past year or so. Yeah, I would, I would just add to that. I mean, I think obviously, at least it's obvious to me, like you can performance, web performance, application performance is something you can outsource, at least to a large degree, not completely, but to a large degree. To an edge cloud like Fastly, to a CDN, you can buy that and it's totally worth it because then you can focus on other stuff. And we had so many customers just blow up during the pandemic and you know we were able to keep them performant and to scale them and it was really great. The other thing though, I'm gonna talk about my experience at the Times is that safety helps you move faster. So one of the big things we did at the Times was a big cloud migration. We moved everything from a bunch of internal data centers to a, to a mix of, of GCP, of Google, and, and AWS. And, and we used Fastly to front our apps like while we were transitioning each part of the application. And having that security, knowing that like, you know, even if we screwed something up and something broke, you know, the, the app, let's say, was going to be still like 90% functional. And, you know, different depends on application by application, but we, we were able to do that as a media company where, you know, a lot of it is read traffic. You know, that gave us the ability to move through that migration much faster. And I think that's true of change in general. The more safety you can create through really like effective caching and an effective edge network that will shield your origin. And when something goes wrong, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll, degrade as gracefully as possible the more that you can create the faster you can go and the more change you can drive through everything and that's really helpful yeah i couldn't, couldn't agree more and i mean I'll, I'll take it a step further i think the the caching and the kind of the layer between between the kind of the underlying technology and the consumer is one area it really applies to almost every area of the business right so the the more automated tests you have, the more the more rigor you have around your metrics and the ability to know when something's out of line. Essentially, the more insight the business can generate about, you know, whether it's on on a healthy track or not, a lot that actually does empower the the pace of change significantly because you've got the alerting mechanism to know if something's going wrong. So the you know the teams can really focus on on where they want to get to versus constantly having to check in to see if if something something broke along the way. We have some of our favorite questions on the show that I'd love to get to before we run out of time. And so the first one that I want to ask you both is, what do you consider to be your three most uncuttable budget items? I'll go real quick. My number one, absolutely, 100% for sure, is training. And to the point that what I like to do is not have a limit on the training budget. I say it's unlimited. And, And then I say everyone has to do a week of training out of the year. If I can, like I haven't been able to implement this at Fastly yet, but I did it at the times. And it's just, there's really no, nothing that gets you a better return. And there's plenty of natural constraints on the spinning out of control. The problem is always that people spend too little on training. And it's never that, that people spend too much time or money on it. So that's always number one. Number two is just comp. Like if you find you're not competitive in the market, you're just going to lose. So you have to be competitive and it's better to pay you know, what you need to pay for the top talent and have fewer people, if that's what you have to do, then to not compete in the market uh, for talent. Uh, It's just a one-way, that's a one-way trip. And last of all, and this sounds super self-serving once again, but it it is like spending on a CDN because you get so much for it. You get so much bang for the buck there. And it's such a relatively easy lift from an implementation perspective. When I came into the times, we didn't have one. We didn't have a CDN implemented. 
and it was one of the first things I did because I was just like, there's no investment that I'm going to get like more of an obvious and straightforward return on than this. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, to kick it off again, I uh, could, couldn't agree more with, with some of some of Nick's point of view there. I, I mean, I never, never actually thought about comp as a cuttable budget item, but you know, I would, I would agree, you know, be, being able to hire hire folks who are absolutely best in class and then to the training point really invest the, the time in the early early part of their their employee life cycle and onboarding has been has been really critical for us you know beyond that i think just in terms of you know actual kind of more traditional it line items you know i think the stuff that's been the been indispensable for us is you know our investment in data analytics um, you know has probably driven more more cultural change within the organization and unlocked more more business wins than almost almost any other area. Um, and I look at that in terms of both the tools, but then also the the people who run the tools. So, kind of one of the one of the the adages similar to the seven percent one is for every dollar you spend on on analytics and, and BI, you want ten dollars on on great people to, to actually looking at those tools. So that's always been a very um, an investment that I've advocated for for really strongly. You know the other the other areas are you know security and compliance is is key for us you know particularly being in retail our consumers trust us with their their payment information their and and a lot of very sensitive data so as we scale as a business that's become you know increasingly indispensable um, as as our member base has grown and the kind of the scope of the data that we're responsible for has also increased so so just making sure we've got all our T's crossed and I's dotted there and and the right level of investment has been has been important. And I think the last one is, you know, continuing to to invest in in just business productivity software, whether it's the simple stuff like like Zoom for for communications or, or Slack or any any of these other areas. I think moving towards more modern paradigms of working has been just incredibly beneficial for us as a business. So, and those fortunately tend to not be the the biggest ticket line items on on our IT budget, but making sure that we're we're investing at the right level. And then also, again, not just buying the software, but really, really focusing on the training, the onboarding, the utilization to make sure that, you know, our teams have the, you know, the the tools and technology they need, regardless of function, whether they're kind of within the engineering org or not to, to be as productive as possible. Well, Sasha, our, our sponsors will love you for saying that. Uh, obviously, we're a firm <laughs> believer in best of breed tools like Slack, Zoom, Box, and Octa. So uh, appreciate appreciate that unprompted shout out uh, from, from you. I think we're, we're, we're at all of those. So it's uh, okay, happy to plug. I know. That's, you know, hey, that's... that's uh, Us too. <laughs> really? Oh, that's so funny. Uh, well, yep. well, you know, I mean, they're best of breed for a reason. Uh, that's for sure. Our good buddy George uh, George Lato calls him his uh, his athletes, uh, which which I love is is a great way of looking at it. Okay, last question before we get out of here. It's it's CIO classified after all. So you you both got to give us one secret. What is one thing that you've learned that can help fellow CTOs and CIOs uh, along the way? Uh, I can jump in. Um, this may not be a secret, but uh, I'd say not every not every problem requires a technology solution. I think to the you know, we often as, as CIOs, CTOs have kind of buy versus build discussions and so on. You know, I think there are there are many cases where, you know, you can you can leverage process or or people in a thoughtful way to solve a lot of problems versus necessarily having to invest in a technology solution. Um, you know, c- case in point, we have you know we, we have a fairly sort of complex set of business processes that are required to manage 
you know, on-site catalog promotions and so on. And while we, while we have tools, um, probably the thing that's made us most successful in terms of being able to operate at scale is having a, you know, a really small dedicated team of folks who kind of runs all the on-site promotions, manages the catalog, manages all the assets that, um, that go up on the website and mobile apps, uh, and act as a, a center of excellence that, that our merchandising marketing and other groups can rely upon to, to make sure that, that everything's executed correctly. And it's, you know, we provided a kind of a level of technology support for those folks. We really invested in the, the human capital and the process side there versus, versus trying to find a fully automated solution. And I think it's, uh, I think it's worked out really well and it's, you know, in many ways it's, it's cost effective. It's allowed our, our technical teams to, to invest their time in, in other areas where, where a human power solution would not work. But I think it's hopefully, hopefully technical leaders can find that right balance and, and often a, you know, a more, a more pragmatic low tech solution can often solve a lot of these problems. For me, it's super straightforward. And it's just that it's just the quality and a focus on quality broadly defined is the only way forward. And it's, it's the only thing that wins in the long run. And that means a great user experience that is performant, reliable, and secure. Um, those of us who've been around the tech world for a while, you know, the, you've gotten used to rough edges over the years and the earlier days of the decades of the internet, let's say where things didn't really always work that great. It just doesn't work that way anymore. The rest of the world just doesn't tolerate rough edges anymore. Everything has to actually be perfect. And interesting, we were just talking about Slack and Zoom in particular, they both won by doing something that lots of people do and have been doing for a long time and just doing it just better, just better in every respect. So that's it. And you just absolutely need to focus on that. And if you find yourself compromising, hey, if it's on the path somewhere, if it's like an MVP and you're, you're, you know you're going to get there, as long as you're focused on that destination, that's probably okay. Otherwise, you're on the wrong track and, and you just got to stay focused on creating that super high quality experience for your customers. It brings to mind this, this Jack Dorsey quote that uh, that I have on a sticker somewhere. You know, to, to succeed, you got to get all the all the details perfect, and you got to limit the number of details. Great last words, uh, Nick, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate the uh, the conversation, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Everybody, check out Thrive Market and Fastly if you haven't already. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Nick. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all. Thank you. This episode of CIO Classified is brought to you by Box. With collaboration so widespread, securing your critical files and managing risk across your people, devices, and apps is now an urgent issue. That's where we come in. Box. Simplify how you work. Secure collaboration with anyone, anywhere, on any device. Learn more at box.com slash work unleashed.